so blessed to see each and every one of you here today. Again, my name is Pastor Todd, along with my wife, Jan. We are the lead pastors here at Eastside City Church, and it has just been so good to experience God's goodness, His presence here. Well, today, we are here as well to celebrate family, our church family. I love family. I remember when Jan and I decided to start a family, and our first child was born, my daughter, Lindsay. Now, I've, I've talked about this a little bit, but there's just a little different perspective I want to give here today. You see, I was so excited about this experience, and I don't know about a lot of the other dads, but overwhelmed at the same time. Do you remember that moment when your first kid was like, oh, this is really happening to me. And, and I was so excited because it was hard to believe just how little she was, that this little precious tiny bundle of joy was given to me and her mom. Well, I could not wait to bring her home um, to begin our new journey together. But before we were allowed to take her home, the hospital wanted to make sure a few things. First of all, that we knew how to hold her, that we knew how to um, change her diapers, that we knew how to feed her, that we knew how to care for her. And they said this, that they would be checking with us in a couple weeks to make sure that we were doing okay, that she was doing okay, that we were doing okay, but more importantly, that she was growing. You know, one of the things that I've learned over the, that was kind of surprising in this experience that I didn't know was that when you come into the world, did you know that you have to actually learn how to eat? That we naturally just don't do this. And so there are some things that moms and babies and children have to do in order to encourage this. And, and so, because if you don't eat, we understand we won't grow. And, and as a parent, your desire is for your children to grow, isn't it? You know, who here has a growth chart or has had a growth chart in your house or, or, or maybe a spot on the wall where you've measured your kids' growth? Like when they were in first grade, this is how tall they were. And then you have them stand up the next year and you go, this is where you're at today. There's, there's many of us that have done different things like that. Why? Because we want to measure growth. We want to make sure that our children are growing. And not only do we want them to grow physically, but if we're healthy parents, we want to see them grow mentally, emotionally, socially, and for those that are here today, probably spiritually as well. So here's what my point is, and this is what we're going to talk about when it comes to our, my message today, that healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. Now, I have a backyard full of weeds to prove that. Now, you might be saying, Pastor Todd, weeds do not sound healthy. Well, these weeds are very healthy. The problem is, is my lawn is not healthy. It sometimes feels like I've got a jungle that I'm experiencing in the back that I'm constantly fighting and battling to control these things. But more importantly, when we talk about our lives, I believe it's more important to understand that healthy people grow. That, and, and so to hit today, here's what my question is for you. Where are you going and how are you growing? Is there growth that you are being able to measure in your life? Do you feel like you're moving forward when it comes to the things that you desire to do or God has put in your heart? Today we will be continuing our series that we started a couple weeks ago called Instant Family. 
Why this title? Why would I choose this title? Well, for those of you that have seen the movie, you understand it's about a family that is adopting and fostering kids and and bringing them into their family. Well, I believe this, that church is about family. Or that we grow through family. You see, our statement here that we talk about is becoming church together, but we've modified it here over the last year or so to say that it's becoming family together, that I believe this, that church is supposed to be family. We're not called to be a special club or a unique organization, but that really that what God's design and desire for us as people that come together is that we would grow together through this thing called family. Now, who here knows that things aren't always perfect, that we're not perfect? And that's why we're saying becoming church or becoming family together because we realize that it's something that we're on this journey to discover and learn how to walk in. But we do it best in community. So why this title? Well, I believe that it's through our church family that we can grow and develop and become more like Jesus. You see, the name instant family for me means this, that we were not born into our church family by traditional means, were we? Your mom didn't give birth to you, and all of a sudden one day you showed up at Eastside, and and all of a sudden it's like, here's now your family. No, we have our natural family, but when it comes to church life, it is something that we are born into. And we are brought into this family instantly through a spirit of adoption as Romans chapter 8, 15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Well, what does this mean for us? For those today who are believers in Jesus, who are followers of Jesus, we've been adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. You see, we were not always part of God's family, but through Jesus, we become children of God. And as I shared this last week, now this might be shocking or surprising to some of you that are here today, that, that, that without Jesus, you know, not, not everybody that's on the planet is a, children of God, is a child of God. We are all made in God's image, but we only become children of God through accepting the blood of Jesus Christ in our life by accepting his forgiveness. (laughs) You see, we're not always part of God's family, but we've become children of God, and now we've inherited this new group of people, this big group of people, people that we didn't get to choose to be a part of as part of our new family. Now, I shared this last week that when it comes to this family, you know, you can't pick who's in your family. Uh, There are people that some of you think are awesome. Maybe some of you think that I'm awesome. Maybe some of you don't. It doesn't matter. We're part of this family, whether we like it or not. Because here's the reality. Even though we don't get to decide who our family is, we do get to decide whether we'll embrace this new and much larger family. Now, I shared this as well last week. Nobody can force us to do anything. 
I could come up and tell you that we are going to be the best friends, that, that, that we're going to be famous friends, that we're going to, I could walk up to you in the, 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 the lobby and say to you, you know what, I, I just think we're going to be the greatest friends, friends. And you might be like, oh, that is so awesome. I think Pastor Todd's kind of cool. I like him. He has some funny stories that he tells. I like to get to know him a little bit more. And you'd be like, maybe that's great. And maybe we would, we would realize that the reason that we really want to be friends, because if you know anything about me, is the fact that maybe we like baseball together. And you're like, man, this is going to be cool. We can talk about baseball and, and, and our favorite teams. But then all of a sudden you discover that I am not a fan of the Toronto Blue Jays. Now that could change things for our relationship. When you realize, well, he doesn't, I love the Blue Jays. He doesn't like the Blue Jays because I actually like the Seattle Mariners because I grew up by Seattle. And so that's my team that I grew up with. And all of a sudden, things could could change. Or all of a sudden, you're like, I I don't know if I like him anymore. I don't know if this relationship is going to work. And I could do whatever. I, I, I could try so many things. I could try to convince you to like me. I could beg you to like me. I could even try to manipulate you to like me. But ultimately, it's going to be your choice of whether or not this friendship is going to carry on. You see, the awesome thing about God and we talk about his kingdom and we talk about growing in his kingdom that God gives us choices, that we have the freedom to choose whether or not we will embrace the things that he has for us or we won't embrace it. You see, we always have that choice. And the choices we make will determine whether or not we will be friends, whether or not this will be our church, whether or not we will grow and continue to move forward. You see, that's what my point is today. Why am I talking about this? Today, I want to help you grow. More specifically, I want to help you grow in your faith to become stronger in your relationship with God. Who would like to have a stronger relationship with God? That would be one of your desires. I want to help you overcome doubt, worry, and even temptation to see you move forward with the plans of God while at the same time strengthening the most important relationships in your life. Now here's what I know is that we desire and love freedom. We love the freedom to be able to do the things we like to do. But as I begin talking about helping you grow, I want to talk about this other word that I think is really important for us to be able to see growth happen in our life. We don't always like embracing responsibility. Oh my goodness, Pastor Todd, I'm not really excited about hearing about responsibility here today at church. You see, listen to me, follow with me here when I say this. The measuring rod of growth and maturity is our ability to take on responsibility and to make more responsible choices. I talked about my daughter a few minutes ago. The reality is, is that we all arrive in the world completely dependent upon others. We need people to feed us, to change us, to hold us. We squawk, we talk, we point, we wiggle. They move us from here to there. You see, it's amazing as parents, you can have children that do not speak any words, but just by a little moan or a grunt, you know exactly what they want you to do. And we do it. But as we grow older and as we begin to 
get a little bit older and we go from being a baby to a, a younger child, we, we, we start to want to do things for ourselves. We want more freedom. We want to be able to feed ourselves, hopefully. We want to be able to dress ourselves. We want to be able to experience what we would consider more big boy or big girl stuff. You see, we want that freedom. Now, as my children have grown older, there's always been this desire, or should I say this, this battle about when do I have to go to bed? Who here is, you know, maybe you have an angel baby. Maybe you have a kid that they just, every night at the same time, they, they put themselves to bed. They look forward to it. They, they run for bed. But, or maybe you've experienced what I've experienced where that is one of those times where it can be an all-out war of, of, of just, I, I, they just fight going to bed. And, well, one of my kids, I think I could have nicknamed them Houdini. Because every time it was time to go to bed, you'd put them in the bed, you'd put them in their crib or their bed, and you'd be like, and it seemed like you'd turn around, and it was just like those cartoons, you'd turn around, and there they'd be sitting on the couch when you returned. (laughs) Well, as they got a little older, they started to negotiate, you know, have you ever kids negotiate, can I just stay up 15 more minutes or 30 minutes, and, and, and so it begins, and, and, and as they begin to negotiate with you about wanting to stay up later, there's promises that are made, stuff like this, I'll make my bed every day, I'll get up without delay in the morning as you whisper my name, like, you know, you're not even going to have to yell at me to get out of bed. I'm going to have the greatest attitude. I will do anything for the extra time. And so these promises are made. These, these, they, they, it's like their life is being laid down. You know, if your kids were millionaires, that you, could, you would be a millionaire because they probably would promise you the money <laughs> for the extra time to stay up. It's just the way that they are. Well, because we're good parents, most of the time we say no. But sometimes we say, okay, we'll, let, we'll try that. You, you get that extra half an hour, and I guess it's inevitable. They're hard to get up in the morning. They're crabby. They, they, all the promises they made don't really work out. Why? Because they haven't understood the area of responsibility. You see, as they get older and take on more responsibility, then we begin to give our children more freedom. They, they want to drive the car. Now that becomes the negotiating. I'll do all of my homework. Or we say, you have to get your homework done first or keep your room clean. And then when you take the car, could you please bring it back maybe with some gas in it? Why? Because that's part of being responsible. I believe this. You cannot have the benefits of family unless you embrace the responsibility of family. More benefits equals more responsibility. Taking this a little deeper, I remember when my wife and I were in the phase of, of uh, going out and we were at that, that, that place of debating when we get married, could we get, should we get married, did we want to get married, and we came to the place uh, 
during, in between her second or, or during her second year of university that we really wanted to get married. And I remember meeting with her parents and, and asking them if I could marry their daughter, which they were thrilled about. And I was so happy. That was a big relief off of my chest that her parents were actually like, we want you to marry our daughter. I was like, Whew. I know it doesn't always work that way, but I was, I was fortunate in this area. However, after we'd kind of gone through the, this sounds great, and well, okay, then it was like, well, when do you want to get married? And there, we were like, well, can we get married this summer? This, this was like November, I'd asked them, can we get married this summer? And, and uh, they're like, okay, wow, we're, you know, Jan, Jan still has two years of university left. I was like, yeah, but we really want to get married. And her dad and his wisdom said, okay, here's what the deal is. You want to marry my daughter? If you marry her this summer, you realize she has two years of college left. Yes. He says, if you want to marry her, you are now responsible to pay for those two years of college. <laughs> that was my dowry, I guess. <laughs> he said, however, if you're willing to wait till she graduates, we will continue to pay for her education. Oh, it's getting real here, isn't it, folks? <laughs> well, we decided to get married, and the rest is history. But more benefits equals more responsibility. So why am I talking about this? Why is this so important? Because here's where I really want to take this when it comes to our life. The responsibility falls on each one of us whether or not we will grow. I choose whether or not I will embrace the people and habits that will make my life successful. Remember a few weeks ago I, I shared that everyone gets the same number of hours each day. We get the same 24 hours. It doesn't matter whether we're rich or we're poor or we're, you're, you're young or you're old or we're male or female or we were born in Canada or in another continent. You see, the, the, those things, when it comes to what we all receive when it comes to time, we all get 24 hours per day. And how we spend our time and the time that we use will determine how much we grow. But ultimately, we are responsible for whether or not we're going to grow. Now, an aside that I, I, I felt as I was preparing this is that sometimes even I hear this from people about church or their spiritual walk, and they'll say things like, you know what, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not growing. I don't really feel like spiritually I'm being fed right now. Well, whose responsibility is it for you to eat? You know, wouldn't it be a little bit crazy if all of a sudden I brought my 15-year-old son up here and it was like, you know what, guys, I'm sorry. I've got to pause for a minute in, our, in our, my sermon today. It's noon, or it's almost 12.30. He's got to eat right now. And I bring him up here and I take his food and I start putting it in his mouth for him. Who here would think there's something wrong in our relationship? That maybe, maybe I might need to you know, we might need to go see counseling or, or do something because at 15, he probably should be able to what? Feed himself. 
And I believe this when it comes to our spiritual journey, that many times we look for other people, kids, we, we can look to our parents and say, you know, well, maybe if my parents did this or that, or, or we can look at, at, at different people in our lives, and if they just, they were helping me more, or they were, they were there for me to help and counsel me, or maybe if the pastor, I know this is hard to believe, if he just could preach better messages... then I would be fed. But the reality is, you gotta open your mouth if you wanna eat. And we're called to learn and grow to feed ourselves. That's part of responsibility. Now as a Jesus follower, sorry if I got a little carried away there, a big part of growth means embracing your church family. The original church understood this principle. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we see the birth of the first church in the Bible. And here's what it says about them. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Man, when I read this, that sounds like, boy, that would be a real exciting place to be. I mean, there were so many things that were going on. This community was all-inclusive. It was all-encompassing in their life. There was a flurry of activity. There was teaching. There was preaching. There were meals, and there was prayer. They worshiped together at the temple and met in each other's homes each and every day. Their family life and their church life was so intertwined that you couldn't probably tell the difference between one or the other. They served each other and were so generous towards one another that they gave whatever was needed, even to the point of selling their property and their possessions. Now, some of you might be going like, Pastor Todd, what you're talking about right now scares me. This is not what I'm looking for right now in my life. Maybe you've been a person that has served a lot. You've gotten burned out before because everything's kind of fallen on your shoulders and your responsibility I get it, I understand this, but let's hear what happened. It says, because of what they were doing, they saw miracles and God adding to their fellowship those who were being saved each and every day. The power of God was being released. And I believe this, that it isn't about one person doing all the work here. It's about all of us joining together, being a church, being a community, being a family. Now, to be fair, there were some other factors that actually drew them together. We have to remember where they were living and what was going on in this time and this season. You see, as Christians began to grow, they began to be hunted by both the religious leaders and the Roman government. Christianity became a crime. Caesar, who was the ruler of the known world at that time, was recognized as the only king. He almost became godlike. And anybody else that claimed to be a king or serve any other king was considered a traitor, and it was punishable by death. 
You see, the Romans knew that why was Jesus crucified in their eyes? Because the Jewish people said that he called himself the king of the Jews. And so to be a Christian meant that you were now put into this category and you were hunted. But they also were hunted down by the Jewish leaders of their time because they didn't consider Jesus to be the Messiah. And to call him the son of God was considered blasphemy, a crime punishable by death. Now you think this would have kept people away from gathering together. You would think this would be something that would have pushed them away, but it did quite the opposite as they began to grow stronger. Not only did the early church grow in Jerusalem, but this new way of living spread like wildfire to the rest of the known world and as an awakening took place. As they committed to each other, they grew stronger in their relationship with God and each other. They saw God manifest his power through their lives. These were not special people. I want to say this. They were ordinary people who did extraordinary things because of what God was doing in their midst as they joined together. I believe this. We grow best through strong relationships when we are committed together as family. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You see, a couple things about the early church that were significant. I said this, they met in the temple, which I would call the larger church, but they also went from house to house meeting in small groups. Here's where I want to camp today that I believe is important not only to be responsible for your own growth, but also that this would be an aspect of your life. I believe every Jesus follower needs a small group of people to grow with. I think it's essential. It is an important part of connecting to and embracing to family for growth. Well, how do small groups help us grow? Well, I'm going to camp here for the last part of my message How do small groups help us grow? I'm going to give you four things. First of all, small groups help us to grow, help allow us to experience real community. Real community. Would you agree with me that you can only get so close to somebody in a big crowd? Like you can know people, you can acknowledge people, you can meet people, we can be warm, we can be friendly, but if you really want to get to know somebody, you've got to be able to spend time with them. Now we could talk a little bit more at the, before church started or in between services, we could spend a little bit of time together, but the reality of it is this, is that, that, when we, uh, that in the um, place where we can meet together with a smaller group of people, we can have longer conversations. We can get into different types of discussions. We can, we can do different types of activities together. You see, it isn't all about meeting and talking. Sometimes it can be about doing things together, like going camping or bowling or having fun, that, you, that when you're in a smaller group of people, you're just more flexible about what you can do. I believe that small groups allow us to do life together like the early church where we can actually rub shoulders, uh, you know, as often as we meet together by being with people that will encourage us to grow and mature. 
I remember a, a small group I had when I was the youth pastor here. I had a young adult small group for some of the guys. And one of the things that we did a few times was we'd go camping together. It was always a bit of a, a kerfuffle trying to organize this with a bunch of older teens and young adults, uh, finding a campsite, getting everyone to show up on time. But once we did, it was usually uh, just a festival of bad food, cheesy stories, you know, um, just uh, laughter, silliness, um, stunts, pranks, you name it. It was all part of what we did. I mean, I remember that we would even, uh, you know, it'd be in October or November and we'd go swimming in one of the lakes. You know, it was like, ice-cold, glacier-fed lakes. And the question would be, well, why would you do it? Because it was there to be done. It was just something, the things that we we would do. Uh, Once, we even had a group attempt to find a grizzly bear on a trail that had been closed for that reason. (laughs) I didn't say we were a smart group. I said we were a small group. (laughs) But I got to say this. It was also a place where we encountered God together. We shared our victories and even our defeats. A place where we grew closer together and God changed our lives, all of our lives. I think small groups are awesome. Number two, small groups allow us to grow through personal discovery. Have you ever had questions about something you read in the Bible or maybe a message you heard at church? One of the challenges of Sunday morning is that it would be difficult to answer everybody's questions. If you were like putting up your hand, you're like, hey, Pastor Todd, I I have this thought. Now, maybe the question you're asking would be something that the majority of people would be saying, you know, I I need to hear that too, and it would be good. Or maybe it's just something that's specific to you and what you're going through in, in your life. The reality is that if we did this, church would be, uh, could be an eternity, and I know that some of you are like, well, that, that, that wouldn't be good to spend more time on Sunday going to church. We could, well, yes, if you want to do a three, four-hour service, which I don't think most of you, if you're really honest, that is what you're looking for. Or what if you disagreed with a position on a topic that was being shared, or you had questions about different things that you're experiencing in your life? You see, small Groups are a great place to have those deeper discussions around life and faith. It's the opportunity to ask real questions, genuine questions, questions that are maybe hard questions to be answered. I believe this, that we grow through asking questions and digging into life issues together. Kids never have a problem asking questions. Man, when your kid discovers the question, why? It's a painful year or two. All right, well, the cow's over there. Why? Okay. You know, and then we saw the ground. Why? And, you know, I got to cook lunch for it. Why? You know, and you're just, you, you, it's like they're explaining everything because they want to learn more and discover what's going on in the universe. Does anybody here have some why kids in your world right now? Now, I want to say this, that I believe that asking questions about our faith, what we believe about the Bible is incredibly important. Some people view questioning things as a lack of faith. Or somehow they think they will disappoint God if they're unsure about what they believe. But here's the truth. Two things I want to say. First of all, God has big shoulders. 
He can handle whatever questions that you have, anything that's going on in your life. If you need to ask it, I believe that we need places to be able to verbalize those things. Secondly, the truth of the Bible only becomes stronger the more that we examine it. The closer you examine the word of God, the closer you examine truth, the stronger that it gets. And to be honest, as a pastor, I'm more concerned about the questions that are never asked. The things that produce doubt in our heart and things that we, we're not able to, to work through and we're trying to process on our own. And I believe that God will place us and wants to place us with people that will help us work through some of those discussions. Small groups also give us the opportunity to bounce ideas off of other people. Things like, how do you cook your steak? How do you deal with a difficult boss? Taking it up a notch. How do you discipline your children? How do you hear from God? As we learn from others, I believe this, we discover more about ourselves and we learn more about ourselves. Number three, small groups allow us to grow deeper friendships. I believe this is that we grow best in the soil of healthy relationships. Each of us needs a place for genuine godly friendships. Who is allowed to see the real you? The no makeup you, the unfiltered you, the you with all of your struggles, with your insecurities, your weaknesses. Who gets to see that part of you? Who gets to look inside of your heart and understand what's really going on in your life, the battles that you're going through? Where do you do that? Small groups, I believe, help us to be real. Because you see, the reality is this, the closer that we grow with other people, the harder it is to hide what's really going on in our lives. <laughs> you see, if you really know me and I come into church and I'm like, how's it going today? And I'm like, it's going really great. And you're like, you're lying to me. How do you know? Because you begin to know people. You begin to see the truth. You begin to ask those harder questions. You begin to go, you know what? Uh, maybe we could talk about this. You see, great friends and leaders will call you on stuff that's going on in your life. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron. So a friend sharpens a friend. When we walk together more closely with people, it creates friction. Though it is not always pleasant, it's what refines us into the best version of ourselves. We need people that are honest with us. But the challenge is always this, that even though we know we need these types of relationships, our tendency is that we try to avoid them. We don't always want people to see what's going on. You see, real friendships not only allow us a place to bear our soul, but they're a place that we can where friendships will provide strength and protection when you go through difficult challenges or unexpected challenges. Most of you know that before my son was born, we discovered that he had a heart defect and had to, we had to move to Edmonton and, and deal with all of that. But I want to let you know that I'm thankful for the people from this church that I could lean into. 
people we built our lives with, small group people, people that really knew what was going on that could ask us, how are you really doing? How are things going in your world? I'm so thankful that I didn't have to do that alone. Lastly, small groups promote greater participation. It's probably obvious if you didn't know me, but you know me now, I love sports, especially team sports. What I love about team sports is each player doing their part and playing their position to achieve success. The hardest times when it comes to me, especially as a coach, are when you have more players and limited positions or spots. You see, you usually have two choices. You can either cut some of the players, say, hey, I'm sorry, there's not any room for you, or you form another team. You build another team so that everybody gets to play. The cool thing about small groups is that there are many teams in the church. I believe this. Many in their size, not in their impact. You see, small groups give us a chance not only to grow in our relationships, but to grow in our talents and our spiritual gifts. You see, maybe, maybe you're not at a place where you're, you, you could lead worship on a Sunday morning yet. Maybe you're, you're not even comfortable. Maybe that's not what your desire is. But, or maybe you want to share some things. You see, in a small group, you can teach, preach, lead worship, learn to pray, lead an outreach event, all within the confines of a small group. I believe God has a place for everyone. I'm going to invite Margo to come forward as I close today. You see, I believe we grow best by embracing one another in community. So here's the question. How are you doing? Are you growing? Can you notice and see growth in your life from where you were a month ago, a year ago? Have you stagnated in your growth as a follower of Jesus or maybe you don't feel like you're moving forward in your life? I want to encourage you because I say this, that it comes down to the choices that we make. What is your commitment level? What is your commitment level to embracing the family that God has placed around you? Where are you at today? Are you connected or disconnected from church family? Do you come here and there? Are you, are you saying, you know what, I'm really leaning into life. I'm really embracing walking with these other people. You see, I believe there's great power in unity. There's great power in walking together. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that whether or not we experience these things comes down to the choices we make. The choice is yours today.